0: Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. Hi, everyone. This is the second part of a two part series with Norman Cohn. For those who missed the first episode and want to catch up, you can find it at promokitchen.org or on iTunes. Please enjoy the program. Norman, I'm gonna switch gears here and I wanna ask a question about ASI and PPAI, and I'll set it up. The relationship between PPAI and ASI has had both good and bad times over the years. The current relationship seems very healthy, and I'm curious as to know what your opinion is of the PPAI and ASI relationship as it relates to the overall health of the industry.
1: I'd like to give you a brief background. The predecessors to PPAI were as an organization called SAGME. I'm sorry, uh, Specialty Advertising. It was a, a, a Chicago-based nonprofit organization for the industry. And when we wanted to become a, a supplier of food gifts, they turned us down, not because they even knew who we were, but food gifts was not something that they felt was uh, a uh, item that uh, their members were going to be interested in later they accepted us. and So that was our initial reaction and of course it had been a, a, up a very closed industry. The Fair Trade Commission eventually actually sued the predecessor for all kinds of things that tried to keep the industry closed from outside people. But in any regard, more up to the moment. I have a lot of respect for Paul Bellatone. I think he's a very bright guy. I think PPA is very lucky to have him and I know that our president Tim Andrews and Paul are in communication on a variety of topics and uh, there have been ups and downs in our relationships over the years back to the days we were supplier. But I think that today Paul and the board have respect for us. We certainly have respect for them and hopefully the communication that Tim Andrews and Paul have with each other will continue because I honestly think that's in the best interest of the industry. Hmm. I think it, if both of us are working to accomplish the same thing, which is to help industry grow, it's only good. So currently, I don't believe we have any serious disputes, problems, or whatever other words you want to use between ASI and the PPA.
0: I'll chime in here, Norman, with my perspective as someone who runs a distributorship and a service provider member in the industry. And what I'll say, given my time in the business, which has been about 17 years now, that I think that having two organizations, whether one's for profit, one's non-for profit, that are both committed to making the industry great, that's a good thing for members. If you look at other markets and you look at competitors, well, you have competitors in the same space; they're going to make one another better. So that's always been I my view. 100% I agree one hundred
1: percent with that comment.
0: That's not a public service announcement, but I'm just putting on. No, I'm taking my on, interviewer I on it. And,
1: and I tell our people, and maybe they'll remember this, that. Competition is good because nobody has all the ideas, Hmm. and if you have somebody that's trying to do the same things or accomplish the same things, they're going to have some good ideas that you didn't think of or weren't smart enough to go forward with. Hmm. So I agree 100%, Mark,
0: Hmm.
1: that your comment that when there are multiple companies selling the same thing, or similar at least, good things are going to happen.
0: Yep, yep. Norman, I want to switch gears and I want to talk a little bit about making family business work. I know that as a member of ASI, you've been very proactive in communicating the, the, the Cohn family story and how you have multiple generations that are in the business. Matthew Cohn, your son, is the vice chairman of ASI. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on how to make a family business work? The reason I ask that question is because you well know that there are so many distributor and supplier members in this business that are family businesses, and you've probably done among one of the best jobs of pulling it off, particularly for the size of business that you have. So we'd love to hear some of your tips.
1: Well, I grew up with our family, which was in those days my father and mother of blessed memory. I was sitting around the dining room table talking about the business that we were in, which in those days... Was the grocery business. And of course, we have had our children. We have five children and 10 grandchildren. And several of the grandchildren have done internships. So we're looking forward to two generations. We're committed to being a private company. And so far, we've been able to get along well. We have a quarterly meetings of our family. And the quarterly meetings, include our youngest grandchildren, and we have grandchildren a number in the 20s, but we have uh, youngest grandchildren are around 7, 8, 9 years old. And those meetings are sort of to talk about what we're doing, and but try to pass on values. And the value of being in a family business, the disadvantage of being a public company where you have to worry about Wall Street, so, so you have to make decisions that are going to be good for this quarter and not necessarily good for long term. Our family's uh, definition of success is by generations not by what our stock price might or might not Hmm. be if we were a public company. So I think communicating most important in a family business and our family knows that you don't have to come into our business if you want to come in you've got to graduate college you've got to work elsewhere For two years, and then you've got to apply if you're interested and go through the same HR that Dale did years ago and Tim Anders did 10 years ago. And also, you have to work harder than everybody else to justify being part of the family business. Maybe that's oversimplification. That's what we believe in.
2: As somebody who worked for you, Norman, I saw that firsthand, and it was something that At least I and I know others appreciated that. And I remember when I started, Matthew Cohn, you know, I thought I was working late when I was leaving at 9 p.m. at night some nights, and I'd still be getting emails from Matthew at 3 a.m., you know, see him the next morning as well. So your employees notice that. As you look at your family and the next generation that's now involved in the business, when you look at firms like Alibaba, how do you think Alibaba and some of these other major changes facing us as an industry are going to affect us? And
1: well, I, I may be one of the few people that uh, I admire what Alibaba has accomplished. I think some of their numbers may be a little exaggerated. I don't mean disrespect. I never met the president of Alibaba, although we've written about him, at least, uh, from the standpoint of being an important influence. But I believe the future of the industry is being able to present a product with an idea. The disadvantage of all the internet companies in Alabama is the biggest of its kind. They have price in many, not always, but many cases. And no matter what, if that's all you sell is price, there's always going to be somebody, for whatever reason, that's going to sell it for a lower price. And I said that at sales meetings, not just in our company, but when I used to talk to regional associations making that point, that you aren't going to be the low-cost provider ever. You may be for a while, but not forever. However, if you can bring a product and an idea to an end buyer, you're going to eventually get orders, and that's what the Internet cannot do. So Alibaba is going to be a giant company. There are always going to be people that are going to want to buy plastic bags from China uh, or whatever other many items... That They're available that way, but they don't come with the idea how to distribute it, how to use it, how to make it work. My best example, in my opinion, of why I don't worry nearly as much about Alibaba as many in the industry do is every national advertiser, to my knowledge, has an ad agency. Anybody can write an ad and contact a newspaper, magazine, television, all the other forms and get it placed so why do you pay an ad agency because they bring an idea to help your brand and if that's what we help the salesman in our industry do then they're going to be successful and I don't dismiss Alibaba but I just don't believe that long term they will put a aggressive intelligent salesman out of business who is able to bring a distribution idea to his customer and hmm. buyer.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. We'll have to record that snippet right there. That was yeah, perfect. That's great. <laughs> Norman, I've got a question for you about the next five to ten years, and I'm specifically interested in what scares you the most about the next five to ten years as it relates to ASI.
1: Well, I guess as Dale commented earlier, I'm not risk adverse. So probably, I should worry about a lot of things, and we mentioned Alabama. it's certainly a possibility. But I just believe that, and and I said this once before in this recording, that we are truly in a simple business. If we can bring ideas to our members that help them succeed, there's nothing to worry about. And if we can't, we have nothing to worry about either because we won't be in business Mm. long term. Right So uh, nothing keeps me up. Well, I suppose okay. Uh, the one thing that I worry about, if there is something to worry about, a little different maybe than your question was aimed at, is that this industry has not yet done an effective job of helping end buyers understand why ad specialties work, mm. why there's a great return on investment, why investing money? in an ad specialty distribution program will probably work out better and be more cost-effective than if you're gonna do television or radio or other and Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to knock other advertising media but I think about that probably more than any other thing what is it we can do that's going to help an end buyer better understand the value of using ad specialties the rest of the things that occur I guess maybe because I'm not scared of risk, I don't really worry or maybe think enough about it. Mm. I'm hopeful that several generations from now ASI will continue to be successful. I'm sure that if we continue to be alert, understand the industry, and help distributors and suppliers, there will be an ASI. And if we don't do those things, you know, we better sell off today, which we're not intending to do, because there won't be an ASI. So I guess that, that's maybe a naive summary, but that's truly what my attitude is about the future. There are more distributors, more products, the industry is going to continue to grow, and if ASI does a job that it should do to help make our members more successful, there'll be an ASI. And so It may be oversimplified, but that's my true feelings.
2: I think it's a really good point. Now, I'm going to switch it on you, Norman, and we're almost out of time, but I wanted to get one more in here. If you take that same answer, and now if you were talking to a distributor or a supplier, what would you say, if they were looking at the next five to 10 years, is the biggest opportunity or what they need to do to be ready to take advantage of that big opportunity? As the industry either has the opportunity to grow, how do they grow within the industry? and position themselves to be successful?
1: Well, as always, Dale, from you, that's a very bright observation and question. I think what anybody in the industry today needs to do is get as much education about what the future is as they can. PPA has an education program. We have an education program. I wish everybody in the industry would be taking it and learning from it because I really believe that the industry has changed so much in the 60 year plus years that I've been in it that nobody can see the future. However, I do know that if a salesman and a distributor and a supplier can bring to the table ideas that work for an end buyer, the industry is going to continue to grow and I believe it is going to continue to grow. We have almost weekly anniversary meetings where the people having an anniversary are working for the company and I try to end the meetings each time with the thought that this is a great industry and that we appreciate those that are devoting their time to ASI and there's a great future and I, I really believe that. Hmm. And But again if if the salesmen are not out there selling ideas then there isn't a great future. But mm. I think we're helping some everybody else that has any kind of education is helping and that's the, the key to the industry is to get the educated salesmen because our buyers these days, not meaning our buyers but the end buyers are younger and better educated than they've ever been. Mm. So when a salesman's in Now seeing a 20-some-year-old, and I don't mean the son of the owner of the company, but the buyers today and the ad managers are many of them in their 20s and 30s, and they are smart and educated people, and they're going to be impressed with results. And if you can help them get results, you've got a long-term client. If you don't get them results, you've got an order and
0: that's it. Just to comment on that, Norman, I completely agree with you, and I see that within this industry, there's almost this ultimate paradox because on one hand, and as you've mentioned in this podcast, it's an easy business to get into. There's low barriers to entry, and that's great for the industry. It's obviously great for the ASI business model as well, but with that you have all of the demons and the problems that accompany getting into an industry easily. You've got some people that will take a shortcut to the order and you get the transaction sellers and you get the person who sells out of the catalog and doesn't offer value. All they offer is, hey, I can get this to you for a cheap price. So I think that you have that. And it's great to see what ASI and PPAI and the regionals are doing to educate these people but I've always taken note of that paradox, that with an industry it's easy to get into, you're going to have some of these problems. And how do you combat that is, is really, I think, the question of the day.
1: Well, hopefully, I mean, I don't know the combat, but the only way, there are what we call the neighboring industries. Hmm. Those are the people that are like printers, screen printers, sign shops, etc., etc., that are selling some kind of products with logos to their customers. And... That's how the industry has been growing the last 10, 20 years. More and more of those people have awakened to the potential of our industry. Mm. Those that learn that selling by price is a short-term concept that will not long-term succeed mm. uh, and that will continue to be in, in the industry. And those that don't will come in it, leave it, and there's always going to be that. You know, we wish there was some way to force uh, distributor salespeople to be educated, but the truthfully there of course isn't and all we can do and everybody else that's trying to help the industry is to try to help them understand uh, forget uh, walking in and seeing what pen the guy is uh, using and telling you you can get it for 10% less, come in and show them something you saw at one of the shows or got a mailing on or however you discovered the item and how they can use it in their business to help their business grow. And some people never get it. Right. And never are going to get it. So all the people from the neighboring industries that come in, they don't all last. Right. Many of them drop off very quickly. But enough do that the industry continues to grow. And buyers find that ad specialties work. Uh, they're going to continue using them. Yeah. So that's our secret of success.
0: If yeah. Yeah, well, it's a simple formula, but it's one that you keep promoting, obviously. Norman, I have one last question for you, and it's amazing how quickly our time has gone by here already, and it's a simple one. Knowing what you know now, in 2015, what would you tell a 20-year-old Norman Cohn?
1: Well, it's better to be lucky than smart. (laughs) Uh, But I also learned from my father. Find something that you enjoy that you wake up in the morning and are happy where you are and what you're doing. And work hard. And if you focus, and where I have not been successful is where I didn't spend, in many cases, didn't spend the focus that I should. And if you can focus on something that you're enjoying, that's a great future. And so I tell our children and grandchildren and maybe I'll be around to tell our great-grandchildren, who knows. That's it. You've got to work hard. Nobody's going to give it to you. Yes, lucky is great, and boy, you're going to meet or talk to a few people that have been luckier than I have in life and in business. But bottom line, you need to work, and you might as well work in something you enjoy. And there's great potential in our industry, and if you enjoy it, you get into it, you will succeed. And if you think that because your cousin is the buyer of a big company that that's a long-term future, well, probably isn't. And uh, I don't think you ought to depend on that being the future. So Mm. uh, focus, hard work, enjoy what you're doing, I guess, are the things I would like to leave with.
0: Mm. And I love how they're just such enduring principles and they're the kinds of things that you could have said in 19... 15 too, (laughs) just as much as 2015. So it's nice. Well, Norman, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure for myself and for Dale to be able to spend the last 60 minutes with you. And I know that this will be a real treat for the promo kitchen community. And I would also say for the industry at large. And I sincerely hope that this is a conversation that is listened to by as many people in the industry as possible because there were lots of great stories, and it was candid and from the heart and, I think, authentic. So from that standpoint, I want to thank you so much.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I seldom tell some of the stories I've told just because it isn't appropriate, but I was glad to tell them, and I was glad for the opportunity. And I appreciate the questions you asked, and hopefully we didn't take more time than you and those who are going to listen to the podcast wanted to take
0: it was perfect. Well, Dale, anything from you, my friend? Thank
2: you, Norman. As always, I enjoy any chance that I get to talk to you. So, pleasure well, doing it today you. and I other I look forward to here.
1: seeing you at a forthcoming show. And, again, appreciate everything that both of you are doing to help the industry understand how we got to where we are and some ideas about where we're going in the future.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you again, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. See you next time.